Good morning. The readings from Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, starting at verse 29. And immediately Jesus left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jean, and good morning, everybody. Let me add my greetings and marks this morning and welcome you to Grace Christian Church today. It's good to see so many here today, and especially guests and visitors. We're very glad to have you. Now, I'd like to ask a question as we kick off today, and that's simply this. Who's on holiday right now? Anyone on holiday? A fair few on holiday. That's good. 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 All right. Well, of those who are on holiday, um, how many of you actually feel rested? Right. No hands. There we go. Great. (laughs) Kind of proves the point. Well, it's an odd thing, isn't it? You know, we, we work flat out all year to finally get to the end of the year, hanging out for the Chrissy holidays, and when we finally have a break, and then the break arrives, and we feel just as, as harassed and frantic and busy and hurried as ever. You know, there's a reason that the song, The Twelve Days of Aussie Christmas, includes the line, on the sixth day of Christmas, a dingo by the dam said, I'm flat out till Chrissy. And of course, in our calendar, the period from kind of Melbourne Cup Day in November all the way through to, um, I guess, Australia Day in January seems to be our true silly season. As the school term winds up with deadlines and exams and formals and concerts and competitions and speech nights and all the rest, we end up hitting the holidays still trying to catch our breath. And then the holidays start, and very quickly our calendars fill up with Christmas parties, with road trips to see the family, carol services, end-of-year dues, play dates, braving the shops to buy presents, trips to see the family, get-togethers with friends we haven't seen in ages, and all the odd jobs around the house we've been putting off all year, and of course the must-do holiday crafts that we saw on Facebook. 
It's not particularly restful, is it? And of course, who remembers mum, you know, making the Christmas dinner, slaving away in the heat on Christmas Day to make that beautiful roast, and then declaring emphatically afterwards, this is the last year I'm doing that. I'm never doing that again. And then next year, she does exactly the same thing all over, and we, we loved her for it. But holidays, of course, they get so hectic. And so only two weeks ago, American psychologist and author Dr. Brian Robinson made this observation in Forbes magazine. Holidays are supposed to be fun and for many people sacred, but they often turn into hectic instead of joyous times, mimicking the hustle work culture that many are immersed in from day to day. The American Psychiatric Association reports that 31% of adults believe they will be more stressed this holiday season compared to last year. Being always on increases stress and compromises our productivity and mental and physical well-being. The toll is cumulative and far-reaching and often leads to burnout. During the holiday season, the hustle culture feeds the fire of burnout, heightening the flames of overdoing it unless we practice mindful productivity. Now, I don't think there's a massive difference between uh, America and Australia here. I think I see the same thing around me. But I do question whether intentionally practicing mindful productivity, whatever that is, is the best remedy against what some have called the holidays, the holidays that we find ourselves in. You know, the Bible uh, knows about rest. The God of the Bible knows about rest. In Genesis chapter 2, the seventh day, God finished his work he had done. He rested on the seventh day. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all the work he'd done in creation. In the New Testament letter to the Hebrews, it reminds us that God's rest is our ultimate destination. It's where we're heading as Christians. And in the Gospels, Jesus himself makes an invitation that surely speaks to some of our deepest longings. When Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So I'd like to invite you with me to go to Jesus this morning to see what he can teach us about rest. And my hope is that we'd each leave this morning determined to uh, a bit more holiday-like Jesus and find some real rest uh, in the craziness and busyness of the Christmas holiday season. Would you join me as we pray, and then we'll look at the Bible together. Lord Jesus, you promised rest for all who come to you. You are gentle and humble of heart. May we bring our labors and burdens to you this morning and learn from you to find rest for our souls. As we pray in your holy name. Amen. Now this morning we're in Mark's Gospel in the New Testament, chapter 1. It would be very helpful if you had a Bible with you and you can follow along in in your Bible and in the outline on the order of service. Now Mark's Gospel itself runs at a fairly rapid pace. It's constantly moving. And one of Mark's favorite words in his whole Gospel is the word immediately. It feels like Mark never stops to catch his breath. So it might seem like a strange place to go to learn about rest, but we'll see. Verse 29, the immediately that starts our reading, tells us that we're following hot on the heels of something that's just happened. You see, Jesus has spent the Saturday Sabbath morning in church, or in his case, in the Jewish synagogue, where he healed a man. And this raised eyebrows in the small town of Capernaum near the Sea of Galilee in the north of Israel, And it got tongues wagging about who Jesus was 
and what else he could do. It was very early in Jesus' public ministry. He was just starting to be noticed. So after synagogue, his new friends Simon and Peter and his brother Andrew invite Jesus back to theirs for lunch. And his other new friends, James and John, join them. But when they get back, lunch isn't ready because Simon's mother-in-law is in bed with a fever. She's not at all well. But Jesus goes and heals her. And you notice the healing is so complete that she gets up immediately full of energy and makes lunch. That's the second healing for the Sabbath day. Now, imagine with me for a moment that Jesus is having lunch at Simon Peter's house. While that's going on, the whole town over their own Sabbath lunch tables are talking about what happened in the synagogue, talking about Jesus, what he's done, what he might do. And as the sun goes down, signaling the end of the Sabbath, the Jewish day of rest, they're clearing away the table, and suddenly there's a knock at the door. And at the door is a neighbor whose child is crippled, and they ask Jesus to heal her. While this conversation's happening, another neighbor turns up whose brother is possessed by an evil spirit, throws him into violent fits. He asks Jesus to help as well. It's properly dark now. And while this is happening, some others lead a blind beggar to the door, asking Jesus, can you heal him? And so on and so on. And this is what Mark records for us in verse 32, if you'd follow with me in your Bible. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So, so many people in need of healing, so many people in need of help. It appears that Jesus didn't turn anyone away, ever. But he stayed with them all late into that Saturday night, laying gentle hands on blind eyes and deaf ears and diseased skin and crippled limbs, speaking words of calm authority over evil spirits, making the sick well, making the broken whole and the oppressed free. That Saturday is what we might call a big day. Jesus started by going to church, but quickly he becomes the center of attention. And things remained that way long after the sun went down. I'm sure this was the biggest Sabbath day in Capernaum for many, many years. And it would have been talked about for a long time. And Jesus was at the center of it all. Now, let me ask you, if you were there to give Jesus some advice on how he should recover from such a big day, what would you have told him? Maybe... Oh, Jesus, you know, today was a really big day. You worked overtime today. How about tomorrow, you don't set an alarm. Maybe just sleep in until you're ready to get up. I think that's what I'd suggest. It's probably what I'd like for myself if I was in Jesus' shoes. Of course, the Lord's designed us in such a way that healthy sleep is vital because it restores us. But maybe you'd say to Jesus, wow, what a day. We just couldn't stop the people. You know, Jesus, this could be the start of something big. We'd soon have people coming from all over Galilee to see you if we just set up here in my front room. You know, maybe people would come from further and you'd be famous and we'd really put Capernaum on the map. Uh, it's the second option, of course, that really appeals to the disciples. Activity, measurable outcomes, efficiency, productivity, kicking, uh, ticking boxes and kicking goals. Which is why early on the following Sunday morning, the first day of the new week, them it comes as such a surprise to see what jesus actually does after such a big day 
and we find that he goes missing. So this is our second heading for this morning, resting alone with God. How does Jesus recover from such a big day? Well, look at verse 35. Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So rather than self-indulgence or self-advancement, Jesus chose something else, something truly restful and something that was deeply restorative. Now, it's worth remembering it would have been very difficult for Jesus to ever be really alone. Uh, First century Middle Eastern life was intensely communal. Couldn't get away from people. Jesus didn't have a private bedroom with a door he could close. He didn't have a fixed address. He didn't go to work alone in his car. He couldn't put in some earbuds to drown out the buzz. And with people's lives being ordered around the rise and set of the sun, Jesus' only option to be alone was to get up before everyone else and to head out past the edge of town. Desolate in verse 35 can also mean lonely or empty. Jesus wants to be alone, away from distractions. So he seeks out silence and solitude rather than sleeping in or rather than riding the wave of his own popularity. You know, I wonder if we can even imagine uh, what kind of silence and solitude Jesus must have experienced, what that kind of silence and solitude is really like. Because we live in such a noisy age. Of course, Jesus did as well in many respects. Only we don't just have the noise we hear, we also have all the digital noise of information and images that will bombard us for uh, every hour of the day if we let it. Even the idea that we might be alone, in silence, hard to reach, our phones in another room, with only our own thoughts for company, it might be enough to cause our palms to sweat with anxiety because we're so used to the constant background hum. The 17th century French mathematician and uh, Christian Blaise Pascal famously observed all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Now, I don't think Jesus' example means that we should all run off and join a convent or a monastery, but stillness and silence and solitude, these are things that in many ways allow us to practice our belief that God is completely sovereign over everything. It's a way of actively trusting that I can stop speaking, stop planning, stop doing, stop worrying, stop rehearsing, stop rushing, stop agonizing, stop searching, because the Lord is God. In silence, we notice the Lord more, we become more aware of his divine presence, and we practice trust. It's a way of doing Psalm 46, verse 10, which says, Be still and know that I am God. What might planning in a few minutes of silence and stillness do for you this holiday? Now, of course, Jesus doesn't just go somewhere lonely so he can be free to navel gaze or find himself. The Bible simply tells us, And there he prayed, verse 35. In other words, Jesus wasn't just alone, he was alone with God. He intentionally and deliberately arranged things in his day so he could spend time alone with his father, uninterrupted, undistracted, unhurried. 
Now, there's something to be said for, I guess, praying spontaneously throughout the day as items for praise and thanks and forgiveness and need come up. I've heard these sometimes called arrow prayers, kind of, you know, fired off in response to various events in our lives. And of course, the Lord's always available. He delights to hear our prayers 24-7. But there's also something to be said for praying deliberately and thoughtfully in a planned way, scheduling it in, spending time in prayer. I know of one Australian church minister who even spends time deliberately writing out his morning and evening prayers before he prays them. What difference might it make to you if you set aside even 10 minutes each day this holiday where you plan to be alone and still before the Lord, to pray about the things that are on your mind at the moment or the things that you need to do, the things that you're grateful for, the things that you're worried about, just stopping and praying. Perhaps there's something you're wrestling with and you'd benefit from setting aside time to talk to God about it at length. Maybe it's in your car before you leave for work or if, uh, in your car before you get out of the, the car at the end of the day after work. Maybe it's just getting up a few minutes earlier and finding a quiet place to sit with your morning coffee while you pray. Maybe it's planning to take a walk at lunchtime and, and pray as you walk about, about about the morning that you've had or the afternoon you're going to have. Maybe it's before bed to turn off the TV, turn off the phone, turn off the computer to quietly take stock of the day and bring it to the Lord in prayer. Susanna Wesley would take time during the day to pull her kitchen apron up over her head to spend time alone with God. And so as her ten children played around her, she would have her apron up over her head, and the kids knew not to disturb mum unless it was an emergency. And of course, two of those ten kids, John and Charles, would would go on to be used by God to shape gospel ministry in 18th century England and beyond. In fact, as Mark mentioned, One of the songs we sang earlier, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, was written by one of her children called Charles. It had that line in it, let us find our rest in thee. But whatever it is for you, Jesus shows here the value of deliberately taking time out to be with the Lord, free from distraction, to talk to him. Put it in your diary, tell your family that you need this, and plan to spend time alone with God this holiday season. Now, I think we struggle with this because it doesn't seem productive, does it? I mean, it doesn't seem like an achievement to say, I prayed for 10 minutes this morning. What have we got to show for it? But, you know, what effect might it have on the way we face all of our other demands for the day if we start with what's most important? As Jesus shows us, when the demands on us are greatest is actually the time when we most need to remember who has the greatest call in our lives. In other words, when we are most busy is probably when we most need to set aside time to talk to our Lord. Um, It's said of Martin Luther that he once said, I have so much to do today, I better spend an extra hour in prayer. Well, silence, stillness, prayer, our third and final point, the peace of knowing our purpose. Because there's an enormous unanswered question between verse 35 and 39 of our reading. And that question is, what did Jesus actually pray about? And of course, Mark doesn't tell us. But if we consider what Jesus says in verse 38, I think we can work it out. So please look with me again from verse 36. 
As Jesus was praying, he's spending time alone with God. Uh, Peter manages to track him down and interrupts his quiet time. It's a bold move if you ask me, but I don't think they'd quite figured out who Jesus was yet. Anyway, verse 36, Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Excuse me. Peter is frantic. The verbs used for their search suggest some anxiety and not a little impatience, says one commentator. There are things to do and people to see, Jesus. You know, I sometimes wonder if Peter fancied himself as Jesus' PR agent in this new miracle campaign that was getting underway. But Jesus' response to Peter is surprising, especially considering what we saw in Capernaum the previous day. So look with me at verse 38. Jesus said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. The point is that Jesus' statement of purpose here, I think, gives us insight into what he might have been praying about. Because we might sometimes forget that Jesus wasn't just God-made man, he was also God-made man. Jesus was every bit as human as we are, although he was also God. And not only does his humanity allow him to be our perfect sacrifice for sin, He also shows us what it means to really be a human being. He's the perfect man. And in his humanity, Jesus has got questions about what to do next, just like us. In his humanity, he seeks his heavenly father's guidance about life, just like us. And it's very likely that his prayers early on that Sunday morning were about the crossroads that he found himself at, you know, to, to stay and heal, make the sick well, the broken whole, maybe even establish his kingdom on earth right there in Capernaum, or to prioritize the proclamation of the gospel, which began back in chapter 14, uh, verse 14 of chapter 1 as he journeyed towards Jerusalem. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Bible teacher David Second comments, we may not be far from the truth in seeing further resistance here to what he experienced as temptation to turn from his course. He was not at anyone's disposal but God's, not the town's nor his disciples. That surely is the significance of his escape to solitude and prayer and of his words, this is the reason why I have come. You see, whatever words Jesus actually prayed, he came away with a renewed sense of purpose having the peace of knowing his purpose allowed him to allowed him the peace to say no to what peter expected of him and yes to what god expected of him and perhaps this is the biggest takeaway from jesus example of discipleship here to know what our purpose is before god of course jesus purpose was the salvation of the world And for that reason, our purpose is never to save the world, although it might feel like that sometimes. But is our purpose to indulge ourselves? Or is it to answer the demands of friends and family and work and TV schedules and uh, the endless list of holiday crafts you saw on Pinterest? What does the Bible say our purpose is? Well, a few chapters later, Jesus will be asked, What does God expect of us? And if you have a Bible with you, it'd be great if you could turn a few chapters on to Mark chapter 12. And we'll see what Jesus says about what God expects of us. 
So Mark chapter 12, reading from verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Love God and love your neighbor. And of course, in the gospel, Jesus' words aren't simply commandments, rules, laws. Because Jesus died and rose again for us to make peace with God by dealing with our sins forever, he gives us a new relationship with the God who made us, a new life where we might truly love God with all we are and where we can truly reflect his love in Christ towards those around us. And so this, friends, is our purpose, to love God and to love others with a love that's shaped by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is peace in knowing our purpose, that we are answering the highest calling in our lives, that we are doing, in fact, what we are created to do. So our title this morning has been Holiday Like Jesus. In Mark 1, I think we get closest to seeing Jesus taking any kind of time out. Uh, he actually does the same thing at three crucial turning points that Mark records for us in the gospel. One of the most important, of course, being in the garden before he goes to the cross. And each time, Jesus withdraws to pray, spends time alone, set aside to talk to God in prayer. And as Jesus withdraws to pray, he sets an example for us of true humanity of deliberately taking time in quiet and solitude to talk to our God and seek to align our lives with his purpose for us. Kevin DeYoung, in his book, Crazy Busy, writes, Jesus was busy, but never in a way that made him frantic, anxious, irritable, proud, envious, or distracted by lesser things. Jesus knew the difference between urgent and important, and he understood that all the good things he could do were not necessarily the things he ought to do. So what difference might it make to you this holiday if you planned times to stop, to withdraw, to be quiet with the Lord and to ask him, what should I do to best love you today? Or how can I best love you in the next event on my calendar? Or how can I best love those around me today? It might mean we say no to something might choose what is better, like Martha's sister Mary in Luke 10, to sit at Jesus' feet for a while and learn from him. After all, Jesus promises, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Sounds like the kind of holiday I'd like. Why don't we stop and pray? Our Father God, we thank you so much that you are always available and willing for us to spend time with us. We are sorry that we are not always available and willing to spend time with you. Father, please forgive us for thinking that we can carry on without you, that we are capable of ordering our own lives, of being kings of our own kingdoms, 
And Father, I pray this holiday that you'd help us to see the value in stopping and being quiet, being still and knowing that you are God. Help us take Jesus' example seriously here, that if Jesus needed it, surely we do too. Help us to enjoy those times of quiet solitude and prayer with you. And Lord, strengthen us through those times. Fulfill us, refresh us, to be your people in the world, that we may show the world who the Lord Jesus is. We pray this in his name. Amen. All right, I'll hand back.